Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast about what a feminist lens means. In this podcast, we'll be hearing from a fellow Young Wolf Australia member, Christina, and she'll be talking about what the idea of gender is and different aspects within a feminist lens, as well as a bit of a discussion on how to view nuclear weapons from a feminist perspective. Hello, everyone. It's Christina here, and I'm looking forward to chatting more about feminism. Fabulous to have you join us, Christina. Before we kick off, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which I'm on, those of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to those past, present and emerging, noting that their sovereignty was never ceded. For those of you who may not know, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom uses a feminist lens in its work as a way to illuminate and ultimately change unequal power structures to achieve genuine equity and sustainable peace. So with this in mind, I'm going to ask Christina five questions to dig a little deeper about what a feminist lens entails. So to start off with Christina, I think it might be handy to first start with the idea of gender before we get into the details of feminist theory. Could you please tell us a bit more about what is generally meant by the term gender? Sure, let me start with some questions. When we see girls studying science subjects, such as engineering and architecture, do we think they can't do well in those areas? When we see men choosing to study nursing, do we question their decisions? Do we ask women how to balance their family and work, but not ask men the same question? Do we think to be a good woman, you don't need to study that much, you don't need to work that hard, you should focus only on raising a family and children. And do you think to be a real man, you can't cry, you can't say you like the color pink and that is considered an insult to act like a woman. I have heard this type of questioning quite often in my life. Sociologically, when we look at society, this begs the question of why there are certain things that tend to only be considered normal for men to do, whereas women cannot, or the other way around. This is because gender stereotypes are playing out here. Gender has often been used to describe the biological and cultural differences between men and boys and women and girls. Feminists define gender as a social construction. That is what society and culture constructs as appropriate for men, women, boys, girls, and those who identify otherwise to be appropriate in relation to stereotypes of masculinity and femininity primarily. We hear these words quite frequently, such as aggressive, tough, competitive, emotional, sensitive, and vulnerable. There are two things we can find from these set of words. First, they constitute dichotomous pairs of characteristics, where the first three, aggressive, tough, and competitive, tend to be associated with what's considered to be masculine characteristics, whereas the last three, emotional, sensitive, and vulnerable, tend to be connected to stereotypes of feminine qualities. Second, 
we tend to attach a higher value to the masculine stereotyped characteristics than those associated with stereotypical feminine characteristics. In other words, there is a power relation at play here between the two. Where masculine characteristics are valued over that of the feminine. Though these characteristics have and are changing over time, especially among younger people, when it comes to the sphere of international relations, it is still common to associate masculinity with a willingness to go to war and use weapons. So you see, gender is socially constructed and play out differently across different contexts and times. At its core, it remains a hierarchical power relation between masculinity and femininity. This plays out in the realm of international politics and relations as well. As pioneering feminist IR theorist, Sinclair and Law has noted, and I quote, it takes much more power to construct and perpetuate international political relations than we have been led to believe. Hence, this plays out when we see what's sometimes considered to be a natural association of power with masculinity, that men should be dominant and in charge of their family and societies at the expense of women. Thus, just as Carol Kong, another prominent famous IR scholar, has highlighted, because gender is so interwoven into how society is structured, it not only influences how we think of men, women, and those who identify otherwise should act, but it also shapes our perspectives of and how the world functions at the individual, community, national, and international levels. Thanks very much, Christina, for such a comprehensive answer. The second question I have for you then is around what the relationship is between gender and feminism. Is feminism all about women? No, it's not. Feminism isn't just about women. It's about transforming unequal power relations to bring about better outcomes and well-being for everyone. So it's also about men and masculinity because the very meaning of masculinity and femininity is defined through its relation to its opposite. Thus, feminism is about advocating equal rights and opportunities for men and boys and women and girls and anyone who identifies as otherwise. Thanks, Christina. I wonder whether you've heard of intersectionality. I think this is a concept that remains confusing to some, but there is a growing awareness about it. If you have heard of it, would you be able to tell us a bit more about what it means? Of course. I'm so glad that you brought this up. The theory of intersectionality was developed by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw in her 1991 article, Mapping the Margins. She explained how people who are both women and people of colour are marginalised by discourses that are shaped to respect to one identity or the other, rather than both. You and our listener may recall from the last podcast how we briefly touched different strands of feminist theories, such as liberal and more critical radical feminist perspectives. But some within these areas have in the past been criticised for not paying enough attention to how issues of race, class, 
and sexuality intersect and are interwoven with patriarchy. These criticisms have primarily revolved around how past feminist studies has been highly focused on the cultural and historical experiences of primarily middle and upper class white heterosexual women. So while all women are disadvantaged by how gender is constructed and plays out, some experience more disadvantage than others. To see this in action, we can look at the gender wage gap. For example, which data from the United States reveals how white women make 79 cents for every dollar a white man makes, whereas African-American women make 63 cents for every dollar a white man makes. That's a difference of 16 cents in every dollar. Now, if we divide those two original numbers, when it comes to the wage gap between white women and African-American women, we see that African-American women make nearly 80 cents for every dollar that a white woman makes. So from this one example, we see how African-American women do significantly worse economically than white women who do worse than white men. Sadly, the idea of intersectionality is misperceived by some conservatives and the upending of racial and cultural hierarchies to create a new one. However, the core of intersectionality is to appreciate that all women do not share the same levels of discrimination just because they are women. Rather, there are additional and compounding ones that intersect the value of feminine theory, which is attuned to, is a more nuanced understanding of inequity that looks to find ways to transform all intersecting forms of oppression for the benefit of all, not just some. Thanks, Christina. That's really helpful. And based on our last episode, where you talked a bit about how we can view nuclear weapons from different IR theories, the main ones of those were realism and liberalism. You also touched on what a feminist perspective adds. Now that we have a bit more time here, would you like to expand a little bit more on what a feminist lens helps to tell us? Yes, last time we talked about the gendered impact of nuclear weapons and women's lives compared to men. But we didn't get a chance to talk about how the discourse of nuclear weapons and nuclear strategy is also highly gendered. When I talk to my friends about nuclear weapons, most of them will say that nuclear weapons are a symbol of strength and security because other states will not attack us if we possess nuclear weapons. This kind of thinking is a result of association of masculine expressions or characteristics with the discourse of nuclear weapons. A great example from India's 1998 nuclear weapon tests when the nationalist leader of Hindu explained the nuclear tests as proof that they were not units. That is a man who has been castrated. Another example is Trump's tweets back in 2018, where he described the US nuclear button with phrases such as how his was much bigger and much powerful than that of North Korea. These examples showcase how political leaders use sexual metaphors to associate nuclear weapons with masculine qualities. As a consequence, as activists such as Ray Archison have highlighted, 
the intertwined connection between nuclear weapons, power, and masculinity not only makes nuclear weapons a symbol of masculine strength, but also justifies states' possession of weapons with mass destruction. And since these weapons are seen as an instrument of power, it is very hard to get past this to start talking about how we can get rid of them. So a feminist perspective helps us to understand that nuclear weapons connection with power is not a natural fact. Rather, it is a social one, one that is highly gendered and produced by the actions of states. Thanks, Christina. And here's my last question for you today. If we want to be part of an answer to eliminating gender inequity and challenge unequal power relations, what can we do? Well, there are a lot of things we can do, either big or small. We can become an activist or raise awareness and support campaigns about rights of those marginalized and advocate for gender equity. We can also try to educate ourselves and others. Listening and circulating this podcast is one simple way. Or at the other end of the continuing, you can become feminist scholar and contribute to the writing and study of these areas. All of these actions and anything in between is wonderful. And there are many other ways to do things. But one thing I want to draw close attention to is our unconscious gender bias. We can do all those glamorous things to bring an answer to gender equity. But at the same time, we have to recognize and be able to reflect and change any biases that we might still hold towards women and girls in our world. I recently watched a TED talk by Kristen Prisoner. She talked about her being a woman leader and how she had an unconscious gender bias towards other women leaders. You might ask how this could be because men taking charge and women taking care is what we have mostly been exposed to and socialized to believe throughout our lives. We have either talked to people in that way or we have been taught in that way. That's why I think it is vitally important for us to be aware of what's happening around us and to think twice about how we treat each other in life. Feminist thinking was never intended to be safe or natural. Rather, it is to rethink the traditional thoughts on gender and to unpack those taken for granted assumptions about women and girls, men and boys, and those who identify as otherwise. So I think stay conscious of how we think of others is a powerful way for each of us to contribute to gender equity. Let me end with some questions that we can ask ourselves. Are these words soft, considerate, tidy, sensitive, family-oriented, only for female? How about independent, brave, strong, career-building, and this only for male? Should women be gentle, or should a human be gentle? Should men be strong, or should a human be strong? How should women balance family and work? Or how should a human balance family and work? Can men cry or can everyone cry? I think once we figure out the answers to these questions, we are a step closer to gender equity. Thank you.
Thanks, Christina. That's fabulous. And thanks very much for taking the time to introduce us to what a feminist lens and how that relates to nuclear weapons. And thanks for everyone who's listening, no matter where you are around the world. We certainly hope you've learned a thing or two as we have here today. You can stay in touch and follow what we're up to on our social media platforms, primarily Twitter and Instagram, and stay tuned for our next podcast. Thank you.